0: A cymbal crash heralds the rousing orchestral prelude that begins part three. Its heroic bearing and adventurous spirit completely dispels the doom-laden atmosphere that ended part two. We are in the midst of the royal wedding celebration. Heroic and exuberant, the opening music recalls many scenes in Wagner's operas, such as the sailor's dance from act three of The Flying Dutchman and Donner's thunder music in Das Rheingold. Trumpets resound with a new motive that is associated with the wedding celebration of the queen to the evil brother. Horns ring out the dynamic motive of the quest, about to come to its ultimate conclusion. The themes of the two brothers combine. The good brother's theme is played briskly but powerfully on horns. The evil brother's played simultaneously on two trumpets. Reminiscences of part one appear and disappear as thematic flashbacks. Prelude suddenly stops in the midst of clamorous rioting, only to start up again after a short pause with a reinvigorated statement of the wedding celebration theme and the theme of the quest. The chorus enters with music that again recalls Wagner's operas. Suddenly, the rousing music disappears for a moment as the chorus softly inquires what glitters and shines in the King's Hall. But this curious question does not halt the festivities for long, for the celebratory music returns in full vigor. Answering its own question, the chorus resounds with shouts of, oh, Freude, and Haya, Haya, An offstage wind and percussion band enters with a rousing volley of trumpet calls and flourishes based upon the Evil Brothers theme, played in double time and set to the march beat. The contrast between on-stage and off-stage ensembles gives a spatial effect to the minstrel's approach to the castle where the celebration is in progress. Soprano and alto soloists enter to soft strains of the quest motive while the off-stage band follows with a glorified version of the evil brother's motive, denoting his victory. Alto and tenor soloists tell us what we have already guessed. The queen is to be married this very day the chorus declaims with remarkable irony that today her proud spirit will be broken. Their shouts of joy are accompanied by the quest motive, powerfully asserted by trumpets. As the music presses on with great agitation, again suddenly the chorus's noisy cries of delight are abruptly halted, but now we hear a hushed, Diminished seventh chord in the winds that chills the atmosphere. An unnerving shudder in low brass and strings recalls the opening of part two. Muted horns play the wedding feast motive in a subdued, ominous manner, making us painfully aware that something is wrong. A sense of foreboding taints the atmosphere. Quietly, the first horn states the motive of the tragic fate of the good brother from part one, and the alto soloist responds by remarking on how silent and pale the king appears. A hint of the queen's motive in an oboe or combines with a fragment of the evil brother's motive, rapidly played by a flute over string and harp arpeggios and piccolo trills. All these elements create an air of mystery, certainly unwelcome in the midst of such a joyous celebration. Male voices puzzle over the change in mood. Why, they ask, is the king so unaffected by the queen's radiant beauty? The alto soloist again asks for an explanation of the king's strange mood as she sings the motive of the bone flute to poignant yet sympathetic cries of lyda, lyda in the tenors, sung to the motive of sorrow. To a wavering variant of the minstrel's motive in the basses, the sopranos announce his entrance and ask his purpose in coming. The chorus warns that the minstrel brings only sorrow by singing the tragic motive, Olida. Dread fills the hall. Now the woodwinds play the minstrel's marching tune, followed by the falling Olida figure in lower strings. The walking bass from the beginning of part two returns here, intensified by terrifying thrusts in woodwinds that recall the cries of distress, also from part two. We can visualize the entrance of the minstrel, striding in amidst the company to complete his tragic mission. As in part two, the ominous deus irae motive sounds in low brass, ending on a descending scale that recalls The motive of tragedy. Here again, given an air of mystery, this time by Pizzicati strings. An orchestral swell that shifts to the minor key acts like a blast of cold air, freezing the scene in a state of utter terror. Now the alto sings the bone flute's unnerving accusation against his evil brother to the motive of the bone flute's lament. The dynamic motive of the heroic aspect of the quest from part one enters in the oboe. The Alto tells of the flower, the goal of the quest. A thrusting chord seems to stab at the evil brother's heart as the singer hurls her accusation to cries of Olida and Vei. The Alto continues her tragic tale as the music becomes increasingly agitated after further shouts of Olida and Vei in the chorus interrupted by rapid pounding forths from the minstrel's march, played by the timpani. The offstage band returns with its rollicking music, sounding strangely out of place at this moment. It, too, is cut off, as before, by a wild flurry of string figuration. Up jumps the king from his throne, shouts the chorus, to the motive of the wedding celebration. The crisis is nigh. The chorus describes the king's leering glance at the wedding party, to the motive of the wedding celebration now sounding increasingly threatening in the minor key. Violently and contemptuously, the king wrenches the flute from the minstrel's grasp and begins to play upon it wildly. The orchestra keeps repeating the motive of the wedding celebration in the tragic key of C minor. Joy has given way to madness. Choral outcries of horror are shouted by sopranos and tenors. The motive of the quest rings out in horns to a double-time variant of the marching rhythm in the timpani, setting the scene for the ultimate climax that is now rapidly approaching. A brief flourish based upon the evil brothers' motive sounds in the off-stage band. Then the on-stage orchestra jumps in one beat before their counterpart stops with a highly rhythmic passage that contains the music heard in part 1. When the evil brother approached his sleeping sibling. As the king confronts his evil deed, the scenes that preceded the murder are recalled in the music. silence holds us in fearful suspense. Now the passage that introduced the Bone Flute's lament in part two returns with a thrusting A minor chord that sounds a note of doom, emphasized by the same chord being played in the full orchestra immediately after. The soprano relates the bone flute's dreadful accusation, directing it to to the evil brother rather than to the minstrel, but also in the hearing of the entire company. My dear brother, why have you murdered me? This pitiful recrimination is certainly not lost on the queen, as we hear her motive played softly, but with obvious concern by the horns. To fragments of the minstrel's theme and the bone flute's motive in woodwinds. The soprano concludes with words sung as if imparted from the grave. Now you blow on my dead bone. This must give you sorrow. Why have you taken my young life? The music reaches an overwhelming climax to the chorus's motive of sorrow, O laide vey. Soon the music calms down. Woodwinds softly sound the minstrel's marching tune as the tenor tells us how the dramatic climax that we have just witnessed has affected the company. The queen has fallen to the floor in a dead faint. Trumpets no longer sound their flourishes. Only a march rhythm based upon the minstrel's motive can be heard faintly in the background. Horns mournfully state an elongated version of the motive of the wedding celebration. The music becomes stronger and more animated as it keeps repeating the minor second of woe as the guests flee the hall in terror. In a flash, the orchestra explodes as the chorus adds its fateful pronouncement of doom on an undulating phrase that will appear during the opening storm scene in the finale of the first symphony. After this frightful outburst recedes the chorus describes a scene that parallels the closing scene of Gedid The castle walls crumble to ruins as trumpets and horns sound the descending scalar motive of tragedy from part one. Subterranean tremors descend into stillness. The hall is completely abandoned. After a somber string interlude the Queen's motive is sung by the tenor as he informs us of what is quite obvious that the wedding feast is over. The motive of the good brother, who has had his revenge even in death, has a somewhat hollow ring as it sounds softly in clarinet and bass clarinet. A tragic A minor chord is heard from afar in low winds. Stillness prevails for a moment but is quickly shattered by a powerful stroke from the entire orchestra that concludes the work with a terrific jolt.